Hello everyone, this is Professor Romagera. If the, the audio quality sounds a lot higher, it's because I finally got my super nice microphone on over through Amazon. Finally came in the mail. Uh, I think it's working. I've tried out a few different recordings and hopefully you guys can hear me and it's coming out great, coming out smooth, coming out nice. So you've probably already seen the link in the instructions I told you to go, go check out and you've seen this one man doing some crazy stuff. You may or may not have seen him in a bunch of different shows. He's probably most well known in contemporary media because of his appearance in I want to say the last two seasons of Parks and Recreation. Billy Eichner is that particular actor, comedian. And, and he has a spot called Billy on the Street. Billy on the Street. So you've seen him in action. And what you've seen here is a clear example of what not to do when interviewing someone. That is what we are doing for today's class. We're going to be going over how to interview someone. Make sure they have a nice protocol. So let's take that as the anti-example. What you shouldn't be doing and build on that to a proper repertoire of action. So, first and foremost, you need to establish consent in for to interview someone. You can't just randomly ask people, does the, hey, who are you? What do you think about Cats, the crazy Hollywood movie? and then use that as a justified response for people hating it. You need to identify yourself along the way, first and foremost. You want to be like, hey, my name is so-and-so. I am working on so-and-so project. I'm looking for information on this and this. Can you help me? Do you consent to be part of this study? No, okay. Now that you want to be a part of this study, can you answer the following questions? Be clear, be concise. I want to make sure that people understand what's going on. Try and give questions that can provide more than just a yes or no answer so that you can have more complex information. And so, for example, for your upcoming paper that's due in about two weeks, you're going to be asking probably one of your parents, hey, remember that toy I really liked as a kid? How did I get it? You can't just like randomly call them and record them. No, no, no. Oh, you want to make sure that you're properly establishing their information accordingly. So you want to get them into the mood of, I'm going to ask you some questions. So you want to make sure that you have, if you're doing a face-to-face -face interview, you're doing it when both of you have free time, no one is rushed, no one is looking at their phone, trying to do something else. You want to be engaged with the moment, establish eye contact, proper distance, not be super awkwardly close, even before pandemic times. You want to make sure you're doing it just right. Now, what you want to do is, before the interview starts, try to have as many things written down beforehand as possible. You want to make sure that your questions 
are clear. You know what helps to do that? Having them written down, establishing, going over them, editing them to make sure that no one can get the wrong idea and that it's also not something called a loaded question or something that's known as a push-pull. So a push-pull is what happens, especially in politics, when you want your idea to come forth as the best and only one. So a push-pull question would be something among the lines of, are you tired about the political situation in regards of the uncertainty of the national identity of Puerto Rico in regards to its colonial status. Like, that's pushing for, or a hell yeah, I'm tired of, heard of that. But it's meant to be that way. So you basically, you give somebody a series of questions and makes them get into a mood of like, yeah, 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 I am mad about that. How dare they? And basically, you're not getting objective information. The difference between objective and subjective being your personal opinion. And, and you don't want you as an interviewer to push your agenda onto the person you are interviewing unless you're doing a bad job on purpose. But that's something else entirely. Don't do a bad job on purpose. Remember... So, for example, if you were doing like an official study as part of a project or a class, way bigger than what you'd be doing for my class, as part of what you would do is that you would need a proper consent form that's been pre-authorized by the IRB, the International Review Board. And anybody who's doing work particularly uh, graduate students who work with different aspects of collecting data from human subjects they need to be able to get proper consent because if not the entire study could be tainted and ruined and it's as if you did nothing with all of the time and effort that you put into your work so you want to make sure you do a good job and you do do it properly from the start. All right. So, somebody who's not part of the study, ask them to check your questions. Hans, are they push questions? Am I pushing you to answer in the way that I want? Or am I pushing you, not pushing you at all? Am I gentle? Am I asking you for how do you want that information to be processed? And thus, may I be able to use that information appropriately as part of my research. Which another example of this would be something like... Uh, the name escapes me right now. Um, not push polls. Okay, so I'll give you a weird example. It's called the leading questions. It's kind of like a push poll. So in a leading question, you subconsciously make the answer be part of this thing. Um, one interesting example of that are sketch artists. You've probably seen them in TV shows. 
<clears throat> someone is the victim of a crime they ask them to describe the person who did this and they're trying to give some degree of information to what's going on now something like a leading question could be as simple as like like hey tell me like what what was their hair like did they have like brown hair like blonde hair what what was it so your brain is subconsciously predisposed to take the first option of a question and making it a immediately part of that possibility. So if I ask you, hey, the person who robbed you, were they tall or were they short? Odds are you are going to say, oh, they're really tall, they're really tall. So you want to avoid providing those options and of information beforehand because they can so easily misconstrue the situation and taint the data that you are obtaining you want to make sure that the information you get is pure i want to say something that can't be messed up so part of that is going to be with your questions and part of that is and making sure that your question is not ambiguous so you want to make sure that again much like in the way that we take a story and we go from beginning to end in a cohesive manner of logic you are also doing that with your questions if you're doing a series of questions do they all make sense with one another don't just go jumping between different topics it's just to confuse people you never want to engage in a gotcha moment because it's not worth it it's only going to make your information look worse if you're like a proper you know jay fonseca style interviewer and you're just constantly trying to catch someone in the lie yeah then go for it go for all the weird questions but that's not what you're trying to do you're trying to obtain information from the person who you are talking to and the best way to do that is to make them feel comfortable so part of the protocol whenever you are doing this kind of an event is to make sure that the person you're talking to feels okay with this so you again establish consent early on how are you doing i'm going to be talking about these things first and foremost you can just randomly go up to someone and just ask them for a dollar do you think tom hanks is overrated the answer is of course no he is a national treasure and beloved by all and i wish him nothing but the best that's me other people can have their own opinion and that's perfectly fine billy agner here would probably insult my opinion and not give me a dollar and dollars are nice regardless of the currency and situation a dollar can always help out you can get an empanadilla or an icy for a dollar not both though i miss those days what am i talking about ah so part of the thing when you're doing your questions is when they're giving you their answers do you shut them up when they go off tangent when they go in a different direction when they just start misconstruing the idea so what you want to end up doing is just i 
again, if you have proper consent, record everything. What's going on? Probably as a voice memo on your phone, but also take notes, have a notebook with you and really go over the details. This is in part what you're doing in order to establish the nonverbal cues of whatever it is that you're, the person you are interviewing is doing. So for example, there's a difference between I'm talking to my mom and I'm asking her about an old toy that I had and how it was lost a long time ago. And it's a shame that we don't know what happened to it. And my mom answers, yeah, that is a shame. That's what's recorded on the audio. That's the official quote. But if while I'm doing that, that I happen to notice that she's, her eyes start darting left and right in a suspicious manner. I'm like, hmm, Detective Romaguera thinks that there might be an issue here. Perhaps mom does know what happened to that toy. Maybe she hated it. Maybe she destroyed it. Maybe I just lost it and I messed it up and she doesn't want me to feel guilty. And I'm just like, it was a mystery all along. So you can record and take note of nonverbal cues and use that to add to what you are describing. And so again, the way we, we use the five senses as part of our descriptive language, we can use that to build on the information that interviewees are providing. So I get to ask them, what are your thoughts on so-and-so subject for your final, for your, uh, one of your final projects? And I get to ask them what I think and what I like. And I get to be able to add their quotes by saying, like, he stood there proud with a gleam in his eye and said, this is the best thing that's ever happened to this town. That's a good thing. You add that, add information that really makes your, your paper come alive. And it doesn't feel like just random bits of information. A lot of times with research, as you'll be doing with other papers, and you've probably already done before, it just feels really impersonal. You just picked up a random quote that agrees with your sentiment. And it's not the most important thing. It's not something like it helps your argument and your analysis, but it just feels like a collection of information. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel authentic. So take notes as people will talk to you. Try to record their information, not just to catch them in a the lie, right? but also to really figure out like what's, what's normal, what's different, what's unique. And don't just tell me that the person was sad when talking about something. Because remember, one of the main tenets of this course with proper expository writing is that we are doing something called show, don't tell. In showing something, I'm providing sort of like the picture of it, and you as the audience need to be able to provide 
to sort of dig out of the context on your own without me telling you about it. So, for example, let's say that for one of the final projects, the three generation projects, you're speaking to an older lady and she's really worried about her grandkids and their safety because of all of the drug issues that are going on in Puerto Rico, for example. Well, and you can say that there's a difference between she was really sad as she told me that she fears for her grandchildren's lives every day and wishes she could do something about it versus his declaring that she her eyes were filled with tears and her voice trembled as she told me that she fears for her grandchildren's lives and she doesn't know what she can do about it. See, I'm adding additional detail. I'm not telling you she is sad. I'm showing you she is sad by describing her face and what's going on with her countenance, su rostro, what's going on with her life, with the, that brief moment. You can also include other forms of body language, are their hands fidgety? Do they look like they're constantly about to get out of their chair? Do they have ants in their pants? They feel like they have to run out how to go to the bathroom. They're constantly on their phone or they're not paying attention. Um, when you get that information, again, you don't just get the three questions or whatever that you're looking for or out of your system and that's it let them talk let them provide information most of it will have nothing to do with what you are doing but you don't want to cut someone off while you are interviewing them you want to give them the space to be free to talk to you about that subject and the odds are there will be lots of tangents, multiple non sequiturs, and just an inability to keep track with the topic at hand. That's okay. Don't be like Billy Eichner. And he's, like, and he's just like, name a woman. And he's just constantly screaming at that poor... That's called badgering in a legal context. You can't badger a witness. And just like, like, tell me who did it. No, tell me who did it. Hmm, tell me who did it. No, no, that's badgering. That's illegal. Don't do that. Because again, you're messing up the... Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? I gotta stop recording these things so late. My brain just shuts off. There's a relationship based on trust between you as an interviewer and the person who you are talking to as the interviewee. You want to feel, you want to exude a sense of confidence and trust. One way to do that is to, after the interview is done, once you compile your notes and start writing whatever it is that you're writing, send them a copy of the draft of what you're working with and just be like hey 
I want to make sure that the information I am providing is correct and proper. Can you let me know if I'm quoting you properly? Because again, we make mistakes. I can assume that, you know, the old lady was super sad, but it turns out she just has allergies, but she's actually a super tough lady. She's still worried about that, but she's not some teary-eyed, old, frail, defenseless lady. No, just freaking allergies. Stupid pollen always ruining everything. And so that way I establish a sense of trust. You don't need to send them the whole paper, especially if there are multiple people that you are interviewing because uh, you know you don't want to uh, mess up their perspective if on the situation so let's say that you're interviewing five people on the current state of your local town and each one just sort of mentions the things that they have trouble with but one person is like super patriotic and it's like no this town is perfect and everything here is good and whoever says they don't like this town clearly is an ignorant jerk and they don't know what they're talking about so if I'm the second person on that list that you are interviewing and the first person on that list said all of that I feel that I'm going to be more shy more inhibited in talking about the problems because somebody else probably somebody important said hey you don't they don't know what they're talking about they're lying I think they're dumb they're ignorant they have no idea what's going on for real in this town and so you've in a you've messed up the trust effect on the first person because they're confiding in you not on the other interviewees to work with that information and, and second of all you've tainted you sort of like a leading question or a push pull, what the other people would say. So you've probably seen it in this universe that they always ask one person a question, the other people are have, have like super deep headphones so they don't listen. Part of it is for the fairness action because you would think about the question properly in the amount of time the other person had to answer it, but also because you don't want to create an atmosphere when they're not answering the question they're answering to the previous person who answered the question so instead of actually you getting information of like what's wrong with the town the second person is like how dare she call us dumb and stupid and she's the stupid one she's the one who who's the secretary of the mayor and we all know what's going on between the secretary and the mayor <laughs> so don't do that you want to make sure that each person you interview is sort of like its own little microcosm so you want to ensure that there's privacy that there's trust and that the only who once they verify the information of their stuff and that's it you can invite them to read the rest of your paper before it goes published or after it goes published say hey here's the paper I hope you like it if there is an issue that arises 
after her one or two forms of peer review and checking that with the people you interviewed that this is information that's accurate. Well, and once that is over, you can give them a link and show them, hey, here's the interview you participated in. Thank you so much. And you know, hopefully they're nice, they're good, they will spread that link throughout different social media platforms. All will be well. But there's also a chance that they, after everything that happened, then it's when they have a problem. If it's a digital format magazine or paper, you might be able to edit some things along the way. Hey, but if you're not doing it, boom, wrong. The key is that you want to be careful, especially if you're doing actual journalism or like heavy-duty research, because if you are putting the wrong words in someone's mouth or you're misconstruing the information, this can be considered slander if this is done in public, aviva voz, aka talking about it, it or if it's actually written down and published, this is called libel. Both of these are crimes. You can get sued, pay a heavy fine, and go to jail. So, you know, avoid these things whenever possible. So, let's flip the script a little bit. Um, think about the last time somebody asked you a question. Were you nervous? Where was your anxiety there? Did you know how to answer? Or did you feel that you were like actively avoiding the information at hand? And because you felt weird of what was going on, and so you like changed the subject or you answer with a non-answer. So I was just seeing a funny video on someone who had the lie detector on and the other person asked them, it's like, oh, have you ever cheated on a loved one? And, and they would say, like, oh, cheating is horrible and it just is the worst. They're not technically lying, but also they're avoiding directly answering the question. You want to make sure that you are directly answering the question whenever possible, that you're facing the question face first. So imagine like a job interview. If someone asks you a question like, what's your, what are your thoughts on so-and-so subject? You want to make sure that you answer it properly. And if it's a tough question, you want to make sure that if you know your stuff, and you know your stuff, you're, you're all really smart. If you know your stuff, you don't want to hide from the questions. So if it's a complicated question and you're not entirely sure what's going on, Feel free, you can save this for like once per interview. You flex on them by saying, did that answer your question or should I go more into detail on that particular topic? Just doing that really shows confidence in whatever issue you are dealing with. So I recommend it greatly. Don't use it all the time. Use it sparingly. You're like the first time you do it, impressive. Second time you do it, huh. Third time you do it, wait a second. They're just doing that trick to make themselves look extra smart and confident. Not gonna get you the job that way. Okay, so, other forms of 
protocol, just the same way that you would have a conversation with somebody. You don't have, you're not checking your phone, you're paying attention, good amount of eye contact, making sure everybody's wearing masks. If you're doing it close to face to face, if you're doing it online, odds are you're going to be doing the exact same thing, but you're going to be extra careful with lag and if the internet goes out because you don't want your questions to be heard the wrong way and then the person is making assumptions or that the other person answers something and you only get part of the answer here and then you give incomplete quotes and it gets messed up along the way don't be like my grandma who is fairly hard of hearing and you will ask her something and she will assume what the question was based on the context and then answer something completely different than the original. So, again, to sort of summarize everything that's going on, you want to be nice, you want to take notes, you want to ask permission, you want to make sure that your questions are written down beforehand in order to get the most amount of proper information if they start going on tangents let them odds are they might say something that is not worth it at all to your study but they might let slip something interesting about their private lives or what's going on with their situation or something else i'm not saying let them talk let them build the case so that you can blackmail them later <laughs> no don't do that i'm saying let them feel comfortable in answering the questions so that then depending on how many questions you ask then they'll be free and willing to continue talking other people if they don't feel that level of comfort when they're talking to you Odds are the first few questions, they're okay. By the second half, they're gone. And you've just collected bad information. It's incomplete. You can't exactly add that to your data without messing up your procedures as well. So you want to make sure that everyone is hearing you. Everyone is following instructions as well as possible. Well, and that means you too. So be consistent. If you tell them, hey, I need to ask you some stuff regarding what happened earlier on. And they're like, okay, but I don't want to talk about the subject of my ex along the way. Obviously, the third question won't be, and what does your ex think about this? No. Because it's wrong, and you're violating the protocol of consent, I will help you if this is how we establish it. Whenever you're doing amount of research on a subject, you want to talk to an expert, you want to talk to somebody who's been there, if they ignore you along the way, then as part of your paper or whatever it is that you're doing, if we're doing more of a, a journalism version of the class which i've seen some people do and we're doing we'll be doing a little bit of stuff like that so you don't want to mess it up you don't want to 
create false information. You don't want to subconsciously push people to give the bad information. You want them to feel comfortable. You want them to feel good. You want them to feel at home and safe to be able to give you that information. Even if it's just a few simple questions. Everyone you interview, treat them right. Treat them well. Ask them to clarify something that might seem a little off-putting. So if you know you're talking to your grandparent and they say something particularly racist, you're like, um, wait, what? And ask them to clarify what's going on. Don't come in there with one set of questions and then just like ask them super casually about stuff and then just use that information as the real interview. Don't do that. That is ridiculously unethical. It is cheating. It can get you in a lot of trouble. Again, libel, slander laws, etc., etc. People value their privacy. So don't break the trust uh, whenever you take on this type of information. So don't be like Billy E. Eichner. Slowly introduce yourself. Ask for permission. Clear, concise questions. Ask them to clarify if need to be. Okay. Take notes along the way. Okay. Thank them for their help. And be on your way. That's it. That's what a proper interview should look like. Preferably both people sitting and be able to talk about things freely. I'd avoid certain types of snacks just because I can imagine that you're eating some salty crackers and then you're like, <coughs> your interview gets messed up, you're, it gets delayed, etc. etc. So good manners. Good logic, good interview. Follow the basics of just asking somebody a question. Let them answer the question. Take notes along the way. Preferably have a recorder with you to make sure that everything is being properly established. And that's about it for today's class. I hope uh, you all are doing well I'm putting the final touches on the syllabus for so you guys have an idea of everything that we're doing throughout the semester not just the big projects but that's about it for today take care good luck and until next time